Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that's like a weekly solar eclipse. Not much to look at, and if you did, it would burn your eyes out. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from a uh, bright and sunny, no, not really bright and sunny, it's dark outside now, but a uh, bright and sunny (laughs) uh, Huntersville, North Carolina. Yes, it's Tuesday night, the day after the Great Eclipse, the Great American Eclipse, as they've been calling it. (laughs) Anyway... Uh, in tonight's show on uh, Pipe Parts, I'm going to introduce a whole new segment, and I'm going to need your help with it, so stay tuned for that. I'm going to assign you all some homework. Uh, my guest tonight, I had to punt because of some uh, technical issues, and originally I had uh, pre-recorded two visits with Neil Roan, two, two full segments with Neil Roan, and Neil was going to end out our... Uh, our uh, fifth year of shows. Um, but because of uh, technical issues, well, you're going to get part one of Neil Roan tonight, and I get to sit back and enjoy that all again. And then we've got uh, music dedicated to the memory of Jerry Lewis, uh, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, so I did uh, I did go outside and see the eclipse. Well, and now here's what I saw. Uh, we were in the 98% zone right here at home. So went outside and just noticed how it started to get um, a little uh, a little gray, a little misty looking, a little um, hazy kind of looking, and it was kind of cool because we've got some trees and the uh, and the cicadas and the bugs and the trees started to chirp like it was uh like it was uh wake up time for them to wake up from their day and uh and then it just got really kind of calm i could feel the temperature drop a little bit but not dramatically and then as it started to come back again you could kind of hear the bugs start to chirp a little bit the birds started to wiggle you know started to flap around in the trees and anyway it was a it was a cool way to spend about uh spend about an hour and a half almost two hours out there smoking my pipe and kind of watching the eclipse do its thing and um yeah for those that were in the total dark area and it didn't get completely dark well that's because you know you got a little bit of bounce off and it was enjoyable anyway glad i got to do it uh glad the weather held out here and we got to see some stuff you know see some of it and yeah we had the authorized glasses so that was a lot of fun all right let's get the show rolling everybody sit back relax fire up a bowl thank you all for tuning in and here we go all right as i mentioned i have homework for you and here's why because uh coming up in the next uh next week in fact we'll start off with the first one I am going to start uh, reviewing a tobacco or two a month. 
Uh, main reason I'm doing this is because, uh, well, for one, now I don't work for a tobacco company, so I'm not forced to taste test tobaccos anymore. <laughs> and uh, two, we're running out of stuff that's of interest of pipe parts, so I thought, you know what, it's time to start, uh, start looking at tobacco reviewing again. Um, the first one that I will do next week is the, the re-release of Dunhill's Ye Old Sign, the uh, Dark Virginia blend. I got a tin of it when I was at the trade show to test out and try, and I've yet to open it. Now, here's your homework. If you have a blend that you would like for me to review, uh, keep in mind I don't like English blends, and I can... Uh, muddle my way through Virginia's or through aromatics. So with that in mind, if you have a blend that you would like to suggest or you would like for me to review, please let me know. Email me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com or go on Facebook and send me a message through uh, my personal Facebook page or through uh, uh, the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Facebook. Now, here's what I'm going to do when I review the blend. I am going to look at the uh, the construction of it, what it you know what it, what it's made of, what it looks like. I'm going to smoke it in a couple of different styles of pipes, depending on what kind of a blend it is. If it's an aromatic, it's going to get a corn cob or a clay pipe, and that's it. If it's an English blend, same thing, corn cob or a clay pipe. But either way, it'll be a brand new pipe so that it won't be uh, won't have any ghosting in it. Um, what I'm going to look for is, does it smoke easily? How did I have to handle it to get it to smoke better? Did I have to let it dry out? Did I have to... Uh, cut it up did I have to put it in a large pipe or a smaller pipe you know what what did it take for me to get it to smoke what I thought was the optimal experience of it Um, the other thing I'm going to look at is what did it remind me of in for example with this uh, Dunhill yield sign which is a dark Virginia blend I'm going to compare it to the other Dark Virginia tobaccos that I've smoked in the past. Um, I'm going to try to get it into, uh, you know, try to describe it so that you, the listener, know that if you like this, then you might like that. Or what are some of the, you know, I want to, I want to try to take some of the trial and error out of it for you. Um I may go back on some of the blends and refer to either uh, Pipes, and to- uh, Pipes and Tobacco's Magazine's Trial by Fire section, and I may go back on to TobaccoReviews.com and mention some comments from those, uh, from that website. So I want to give you, the listener, even though we know that I've got a, a very narrow Uh, a narrow path of the tobaccos that I like, but I want to try to give you, the listener, what you think, uh, what you can expect from it, and what I think you will uh, yeah, kind of compare it to and contrast it to. Uh, The process will take me probably three or four days, and it'll probably take an ounce of tobacco in order to get a full spectrum of what it is. And this is one of the reasons why I really don't like 
taste testing tobaccos is because you can't just do it in a half a bowl or one bowl or open up the can and sniff at it and decide. You really have to work with the tobacco. Uh, you know, if it's a if it's a flake, how far out do you rub it out to get the maximum flavor? If it's moist and you want to dry it down, how far down in moisture do you take it? So you really have to work with it at different uh, different constituencies of the tobacco. Uh, and then you also have to make sure that you're in the right spot of taste testing because you have to make sure that you've had something to eat. You have to make sure that you're hydrated well. And you have to make sure that in my situation, I have to make sure that I have not had a whole bunch of uh, a real heavy blend right before it. Because if it's a milder, simpler, uh, straight Virginia and i try it after smoking two or three bowls of a heavy Virginia Perique, it's just not fair to the tobacco. Uh, in the case of an aromatic, you have to make sure that you're in the right frame of mind again and that you don't have other flavors that are going to fight with it in your mouth. It's really unfair to take a vanilla or a chocolate-based aromatic and after having a big bowl of fruit, put it in your mouth. It's just not going to work. That sweet and that fruit and it's just not going to mix. So again, this is this is something that takes time and it takes uh it it takes the right time and place and the right amount of patience in order to discover if and what is in that blend, if that blend will work for you or what the blend is like so that it works correctly for that type of person. Uh, but that's what we're going to start doing. Probably do one or two a month. And again, if you got any suggestions, please let me know of what you'd like to have on first or second. Uh, I've got a couple here that I can do uh, fairly quick, just to give, just to get it started. But again, let me know what you uh, let me know what you want to what you want to try. But it's just one blend. Uh, if it's a if it's a an English blend. <laughs> have to be smoked outdoors because I really don't want the uh, Latakia smell uh, filling up the house. But uh, if it's an aromatic, hey, we can do that too. Let me know. All right, in just a minute, the first half of my conversation with Neil Roan. This is Internet Radio. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell & Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenay's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell & Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and... and Neil, I can't think of a better way to end the fifth year of the show than to have you on and 
Yeah, if, if anybody in the pipe collecting hobby does not know the name Neil Archer Roan, you haven't been either on the internet or at a pipe show or I don't know where, you're, you're everywhere. So, Neil Roan, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thanks, Brian. It's so great to be here. So, we're, we're pulling out the big guns, but first, for those that don't know you, um, where did you grow up, and when did you get interested in smoking a pipe? So I grew up in a little town in Wyoming up by Yellowstone Park called Cody, Wyoming. Oh. And uh, I became interested in smoking a pipe because my dad smoked a pipe. And uh, I, you love the smell of it, like so many guys who, uh, who have been interested in pipe smoking. You know, we... Uh, you know, that smell is something that's, that is really seductive. And it was also associated in my mind with my dad sitting down and relaxing and enjoying himself and reading and spending time talking with me. So <clears throat> all my associations with pipe smoking are really about relaxing and connecting and thinking and having an interesting conversation. Do you know what kind of tobacco your dad smoked? You know, I don't know the brand that he smoked, but he smoked English tobaccos all his life and uh, absolutely abhorred aromatics. I remember once <laughs> that he actually, he did uh, try cherry blend because I asked him once if he had tried it, and he got a peculiarly a sour look on his face and <laughs> I, when I asked him if he'd ever smoked it and he, and he said, yes, I smoked it. He says, I'm an English tobacco man and that's what I like. So uh, <clears throat> that's what he smoked and uh, and he loved it and when I would visit him, uh, he died uh, a year ago, uh, actually not quite a year ago, uh, this last October and when I would go out and visit him, I smoked English tobaccos, and he just loved the smell. He said it just took him right back. Now, that that's pretty rare for someone. I mean, he's obviously older than you are, and pretty rare for someone to be a dedicated English smoker going back into the 50s and 60s. Yeah, you know, it, it really is pretty rare, though. You know, when you think about it, uh, some of the best, English tobaccos, those tobaccos that we really celebrate now, you know, the, the House of Sobrani tobaccos, uh, for example, they were made at that time. I mean, it was, yeah. my dad was smoking a pipe in the mid-60s. I think that's when I noticed that he was smoking a pipe. I think I was 12 or 13, and that would have been around 1964 and 1965. And those in those days, those, those tobaccos were pretty popular. Yeah, and I was just thinking in the middle in the middle of America, which Wyoming is not near any major city, just to have a dedicated English tobacco guy that that that's pretty cool. Well, I can remember him going to buy tobaccos, and and uh, he would buy his pipe tobaccos in two places. There was a pipe shop up in Billings, Montana that uh, we would visit when we would go up there. And he also uh, would buy pipe tobacco at a little shop called the Post Office Store, which was, uh, I believe, on 13th Street uh, in Cody between Sheridan and uh, 
Back Avenue. And he would go in there and he would get his tobacco from a wonderful old guy named Stanley Langrid. <laughs> kind of one of, was that one of those stores that just took care of everything that anybody needed in the area? Well, <clears throat> yeah, you know, it was kind of a magical store. They had books, they had newspapers, they had magazines, they had uh, postcards, and, you know, you could get your film developed there. You could find out, you know, uh, what the skiing conditions were like up at Sleeping Giant, which is the ski run that I grew up at. You could, and Stan was an avid skier in his 70s. Um, you know, it's just one of those kind of all-purpose places that people went. You could buy stamps in there, even though the post office was next door. <laughs> so when did you start smoking a pipe? Well, I started smoking a pipe when I was 18. Uh, I might have been 17, I, I, but I, I think I was 18. And, you know, I... I kind of smoked surreptitiously because I didn't really want people to know that I was smoking. Uh, my, even though both my mother and father at one time were cigarette smokers and my mom was a cigarette smoker for a long, long time, uh, even then smoking had a little bit of a stigma. And also I think that, you know, my friends and people in town would have seen that as a pretty uh, affected thing for me to do in those days. So, you know, I would do it, the, my pipe smoking in private. <laughs> Come home and sneak inside and light up. Exactly, exactly. Actually, you know what I would do is I, I, had, a, uh, I had a really horrible car <laughs> for my first car, a Rambler 1959 cross country. Wow. And, you know, and I would go sit in that and roll the windows down. And if you've ever been in Wyoming, you know, it's it's basically always windy, and usually it, it, it's pretty chilly, except in the summers. And but I'd roll the windows down because I didn't want to stink up the inside of the car, and I would I would sit in there in my hat and scarf and coat and smoke my pipe and read a book. <laughs> I can I can just picture that, and then the snow might start to fall, and you'd have to you'd have to roll up the windows a little bit. Yeah, that's about right. That's how it was. <laughs> um, I always like to ask, but do you remember what your first pipe was? I really do. As a matter of fact, I had a Savinelli had a church warden stem on it. And it wasn't a real long church warden. I, I'd say this pipe was probably eight inches long, and it was a black sandblast pipe. And you know that pipe was a magnificent smoker. Uh, I had that pipe until about two or three years ago, and I lost it somehow. And it was fantastic, and I broke the stem in half. And so <laughs> toward the end when I was smoking it, I was, there was no mouthpiece on it. There was just a piece of vulcanite that kind of stuck up that had a hole coming out of jagged end, <laughs> and that's what I would uh, smoke it from. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm laughing because I know some of the other pipes you smoke, so in comparison to that, uh, and your and some of your other pipes that's uh that's quite different uh, <laughs> yeah it's definitely it's definitely a down market uh thing to do but you know when you're that's i think that's one of the things about about pipe smokers i don't think i'm unique at all in that we we get attached to things 
like our pipes and our tampers and our lighters. And, and I think these things take on meaning beyond their function. They become almost talismanic objects that have yeah. a particular meaning. And there's lots of memories embedded in them. And, and I think that, that uh, I think we get attached. And, you know, I, I can tell you, I, I still have the first really good pipe I got was a Sassini four dot by Count LaSalle. And I have that pipe still. I got that pipe when I was 19. And as uh, Jack Howell actually restemmed it for me because I managed to completely obliterate and chew through and break the area around the mouthpiece. Even though I've got the original stem still, you know, uh, but that that's another fantastic pipe and that smokes great that I still smoke all the time. Obviously, with its new stem, uh, and you know, I. I feel that the way about that pipe that I'm sure a lot of, of guys who've been pipe smokers for a long time feel about theirs, that they would probably deacquisition most of the pipes they've got before they got to the ones, the, the good pipes they had or at, that they smoked early. Yeah, yeah they, but you're right. They do become, uh, they, they become partners on our, in our life and we really don't want to, we don't want to part with the ones that treat us well. No, we don't. And I, you know, I think that that's, that speaks to the character of the pipe smoker. And, and I also think to some extent it speaks to what it means to be a man. You know, um, one of the things that I love most about the pipe community and about the pipe world and the people that so many, so many people that you and I know, Brian, is that, you know, it's a place where, you know, men can be themselves, they can relax and, and be who they are. I mean, we're, we're definitely our own tribe, you know? <laughs> I mean, we, we have, there are certainly, there are certainly groups and subgroups of our tribe, but we're definitely a tribe. And, you know, the, uh, the affection that, that we have for, our pipes and our tobaccos, and, and I think also for each other, is one of the best things about this world. It's, it's just a great thing. You know, I, I can't even imagine, I wouldn't know squat if it weren't for the other people in this, in this hobby who have shared their opinions about pipes and shared their opinions about tobaccos. And, and you, you know, you get that stuff woven into stories and, and uh, lies and, BS and you know that it's kind of a magical recipe you know it's the the one equalizer is that we all enjoy a pipe and then we just automatically accept each other and we want to learn from each other too you know that's that's absolutely true and I think that's another thing that I really love about the pipe community is that that notion of you know the egalitarian values that pipe smokers have. I mean, some of my best friends and people who have taught me the most, you know, are, you know, regular Joes. They're, they're just amazing people. They're good people, good-hearted people. I mean, I think, I think about some of them that have passed away in the last five years or so, um, who, you know, who I miss so much because, you know, we really are a community where where you, I mean, you think that 
to some extent there would be, you know, a lot more status operating. You've got, I mean, we've got collectors, you and I both know, who have type collections that are <clears throat> worth a fortune where their individual types can be, some of them are upwards of twenty-five and $30,000 a piece. And those people, you know, they don't conduct themselves in a way that, that says that they're better than other people, you know. We, uh, it is a great level, you know. So yeah. long as you can tell a good lie and keep a conversation going and occasionally you pony up for a bourbon for the other guys around the table, you're going to be loved and accepted. Open up a can of vintage tobacco in front of everybody and they don't care if you collect Mickey Mouse pipes. That's true, and I, I actually know somebody who does. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a clue who you're talking about. Um, let's go back to to you beginning. So, did you did you start off with English tobaccos? No, I didn't. I'm ashamed to tell you that I smoked aromatics. Oh well, we have to end uh, the show right now. I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. But I, you know, uh, I. I had this experience, which was, you know, one of my crowning moments of ignorance and and uh, lack of experience, where, you know, I figured if a little was good, a whole lot must be must be really good, right? So I'd <laughs> smell the English tobaccos that my dad was smoking, and I'd say, well, you know, what makes an English tobacco an English tobacco? And he would tell me, well, it's the Latakia in it. And... Uh, and that's what makes it gives it that unique smell, and that's what I like so much. So I remember going to the tobacco store, and and uh, in those days you could buy 100% Latakia. You could buy, <laughs> and you can now, as you know, right? Yeah. So that's exactly what I did, <laughs> and I I smoked that Latakia, and you know, it's a young palate is pretty sensitive. I'm, you know, it's I think our I don't have any evidence. I'm not a scientist, but my experience is, is that our our palate, you know, becomes somewhat desensitized over the over the years. And I mean, I can remember when I was a kid, the first time I tasted Tabasco, I thought I was going to die. I thought somebody had basically let a bonfire in my mouth and thrown gasoline on it. <laughs> and now, you know, <clears throat> I can eat pop jalapeno peppers, and they don't bother me at all. Well, you know, when the first time I smoked Latakia, I got sick as a dog. I mean, it was strong, and I was determined to gut it out. And so that kind of kept me away from English tobaccos for a while, because <laughs> I didn't really understand that it was a condiment tobacco, you know. And so, like so many guys, young guys, you know, when I was first starting out, I was a Captain Black smoker. And, you know, even today, Captain Black is a pretty darn good tobacco, as as what Drugstore blends go, you know, uh, it's got a big fan base and a big following. It's the number one seller in the country, so it must be doing something right. Uh, Absolutely. That's a perfect spot for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, chat more with Neil, so stay with us. (laughs) 
Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show in uh, fumigating the woods with uh, Latakia. We'll, ch- we'll chase away mosquitoes, too. So uh, if you ever want to smoke straight Latakia out in the woods, you'll, birds will drop out of the trees and mosquitoes will run and it'll be wonderful. But uh, so, Neil, did you did you uh, how did you get out of Wyoming? Well, I left to. Uh study, continue studying music when I was a, the, my first real career was as a musician, uh, as a classical guitarist. And so I left Wyoming because there was really no way for me to learn classical guitar in Wyoming. The uh, <laughs> classical guitarists were uh, as rare as hen's teeth. And so I left and, and uh, it was in leaving actually that the world of pipe tobaccos opened up and I discovered Tobaccos like like Bacchum Sobrani, uh, like Dobie, like you know, so many of the classic blends that we think about that are in, I would say, the pantheon of pipe tobaccos. Yeah, you know, Sullivan and Powell, the, all those wonderful tobaccos, and I wish, oh man, I wish I knew then what I know now because I'd have bought a bunch of that stuff and. I would have been, uh, I'd have been hoarding it, and I also would have been trying things that I should have tried then. <laughs> a three dollar can of Balkan Sobrani from the nineteen eighties, yeah, regularly sells for two hundred bucks now. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's astonishing how much that that tobacco is worth, and you know, you've had it, so have I. It's pretty darn good. I mean, it's pretty darn good. But I, I have to say, as as good as those vintage tobaccos were then, you know, we have some very, very good blends available to us today. That, and I think the the young pipe smoker, the guy who's coming into the hobby now, he has a pretty good choice. And if he can find some people to, you know, to guide him and share and and turn him on to various blends, he can find some really fine tobaccos you know this is completely off the uh, off the script and i'm i'm not sure why i'm asking this of you but i'm i know you've been approached by many young smokers um why do you think some people stick with it and some people get into it and then just it doesn't stick well you know i've watched that happen as i know you have as well and uh, I don't think it's for everybody. You know, uh, 
I've got friends who are cigar dedicated cigar smokers and and they just think a pipe is way too much trouble. You've got to pack it. You've got to know how to pack it. You've got to get it right. You've got to <clears throat> have a pipe. You've got to have a tamper. You've got to have a lighter. You've got to clean the pipe. You've got to rotate all that. And they just think that it's way too much work and way too fussy. And you know it is. But by gosh, that's part of the romance. Of it. That's part of what makes it fun and interesting is that it is there is an art to getting enjoyment and to getting a great experience from it. And I, I think that people who drop out of it, drop out of it for a bunch of reasons. One is I don't think they like it to begin with because uh, they may be, they may have gone in and chosen a pipe based on how that pipe looks hanging out of their mouth. Yeah. They may have a particular, you know, they, and they might've chosen uh, a pipe that, you know, was pretty inexpensive that might not have been all that well made or have uh, have great uh, briar in it, and they tried it, and it just wasn't all that great. And as you know, you know, for a pipe to really give you the kind of enjoyment that, that we want, you've got to smoke it a while. You've got to break it in. You've got to get to know it. You have to figure out what tobacco you like and what tobacco is well-suited for the pipe, and all of that adds up to time and effort and spending time with it, and I just think some people just aren't interested in that. They'd rather, you know, buy a cigar, and, and their lifestyle is more uh, is more <clears throat> attuned to that. Uh, and I, I also think that, that uh, guys who try pipe smoking uh, – you know, they, they may look at it, I mean, I can tell you as a professional marketer and market researcher that, you know, people choose hobbies and affinities, like being a part of the pipe community, for instance, as a way of telling you who they are. And I think, yeah. you know, for some guys, it's just not who they are, and they feel like smoking a pipe uh, is inauthentic for them. You know, that it's, just not, it's just not who they are, and, and that's fine. That's fine. Uh, for those of us that that enjoy it, that it is a part of of our life and our community, it's fine too. I don't think anybody ought to feel like they should have to smoke pipe. It's kind of like me trying to learn how to appreciate red wines. I, I'm getting there, but it but it's a struggle. Uh, do you have do you have any specific dimensions or design or things that you look for in a pipe now before you buy it? Well, you know, it's interesting uh, because I do uh, absolutely. I think I think most longtime pipe smokers have a pretty clear idea of what they like. And for years and years and years, Brian, I've been smoking pipes that are basically under, you know, about five, under five and a quarter inches. So essentially, you know, four and three quarter inches to five and a quarter inches. I like pipes that are under 50 grams. Um, I love beautifully crafted, uh, interesting shapes, but I also have a, I tend to really love the English shapes and, and the more conservative expressions of briar, uh, I like uh, I like pipes that uh, that are well balanced in the jaw, that the stem is is comfortable. And now that I'm a Virginia smoker, I did migrate away from from English 
Uh, I prefer a chamber diameter that's really, you know, three quarters of an inch to maybe, you know, 0.8. I yeah. will occasionally smoke a larger capacity bowl, but uh, for the most part, I find I, I gravitate to pipes that are a little bit smaller. Now, the interesting thing is for, I'd say since, since uh, this year in Chicago, uh, the Chicago show, you know, I've kind of rediscovered the larger pipes. I <laughs> I bought four or five bigger pipes, uh, classics, and, you know, they really do smoke differently. And they treat the tobacco differently there, and, and it's a different experience. And you know what? I discovered I liked it. And so I'm... I'm actually smoking bigger pipes again. I, not for the most part, but they're certainly in my rotation. And, you know, I'm, I just love the experience that they give me, especially, you know, if I'm sitting watching a movie or, or uh, reading a book, I love to have that long smoke without having to stop and relight and tamp and reload and all that. I did. I did the same thing, and I wasn't looking for them. But in Chicago, and then again this summer at the uh, at the trade show, I picked up a couple of pipes that are three hour bowls for me. Uh, and there's no rhyme or reason, except I love the pipes from the start, and I love them now. Well, you know, that's exactly what happened to me. And if you'd asked me a year ago whether I was going to be smoking, you know, pipe a six inch long pipe with a two inch bowl. I'd have told you you're crazy that that would never happen, but in, it has, and I enjoy it. <laughs> and and there's no there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just absolutely right for for what we wanted at the moment. Absolutely, I've, and I mean, there's no question that the fact that these particular pipes that I stumbled onto in Chicago were terrific smokes, really well made and very comfortable, had something to do with it. There's no question. Let, let's talk about your collection that you showed in Chicago. I can't remember. Was it two, three years ago? Yeah, it was uh, 2014. Yeah. In May. All right. First well, of all, it, they're Kamoy's Blue Ribands, and how do you pronounce the R-I-B-A-N-D? Well, you know, another point of embarrassment here, Brian, I, I think the correct way to pronounce it is blue ribbons, uh, ribbons with a D and an S at the end. But I've been calling them blue ribbons forever, uh, <laughs> yeah. from long before I started collecting them. And everybody else, uh, I think, in pretty much everybody else in the hobby calls them blue ribbons. But I think, I think the actual correct way to pronounce it is blue ribbons. But for the purposes of continuity in my uh, in my errors of my ways, I'll continue to call them blue bands. <laughs> Good, you've got a great collection of them. You can call them whatever you want. Thank you. I love them. I, uh, you know, I had a, a real interesting experience with them. I had heard about these pipes and smoked a couple uh, for years, and I was in Memphis. Uh, working on an engagement there and I wandered into a tobacco shop that's pretty famous in this country called Tobacco Corner. Yeah. And this shop uh, used to be owned by Elliot Abel. <laughs> and Elliot passed away. And he know. was quite a character. He was 
absolutely quite a character. And I made friends with Elliot. Uh, for one thing, I, I love the shop because you walk into it. I mean, it's like walking into something from Harry Potter, you know, stuff everywhere. Uh, tobacco, uh, you know, tobacchiana from a million years ago, a giant collection of Savinelli's that was Elliot's in the cases. I mean, it was really funny. How many tobacco shops do you go into where, you know, there is less space devoted to the inventory for sale than there is to show the collection <laughs> of the owner, you know? But that was Elliot. And anyway, I got to, I was talking with Elliot one day, and Elliot says, well, you know, I, I collect Blue Ravance. And I said, really? I, I've got several of those, and I would love to. I would love to see your collection. Well, you know, he pulled out literally trays after trays after trays of Blue Ravan pipes, and they were all cherried out, many of them unsmoked. And by cherried out, I mean there was, you couldn't find any oxidation on any of those stems anywhere. They were just as shiny as a, as a brand-new car, beautiful grain. And he started showing me these pipes, and I just I fell in love with them. I mean, I tell you what, it was like, I'd, like I had met Grace Kelly in a <laughs> French cafe at 11 o'clock at night after a couple of glasses of wine. I mean, I was smitten. And I decided that I was going to start collecting. And, and, and I also told Elliot I really was interested in trying to buy pipes from him, which he never sold because he loved them and wanted to keep them. Um, and, you know, as you know, I've got nearly 80 now different shapes. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been looking for them forever it feels like, looking for shapes that I don't have. And one of the things that's interesting about about Blue Ribbands is nobody knows what shapes they don't have because nobody knows what shapes were made <laughs> because, the, because these pipes were all graded after they were made in two stages. You know, those stumbles would come out of the factory, they'd be looked at, and they'd be judged based on the quality of their grain because the shapes were very consistent. They were phrased pipes. And by phrased, I mean essentially, uh, you know, machine-assisted manufacture. And they'd look at those, they'd look at those bowls and they'd see beautiful grain and they'd ship them off to their top finishing plant uh, factory in London and they would complete them as bluer bands. So, you know, (laughs) there happened to be, if all the great, the stumbles that day were billiards or pots or bulldogs. That's what became Blue Ribbons. But nobody sat down and said, well, gee whiz, you know, I think we're going to make a bull cap of Blue Ribbons today. That isn't how it worked. It works that way today, but it didn't work that way then. So we don't know what's out there that, you know, uh, in terms of shapes that might still be available to collect. And the only way that I've been able to, you know, to... Uh, to expand the collection of shapes I've got is is just to continue to look for ones that I know by number stamp that I do not have. And then, of course, Kamoi made it a lot more challenging by regularly changing, taking a the same shape and assigning it a different shape number. So, you know, here it comes in the mail, I'd open it up, and I'd find I already had that shape with a different stamp on it. 
but I keep it anyway because that's the thickness of the collector. <laughs> well, yeah, and for a collector, a, a same shape but a different shape number, that's a different pipe, right? It is, actually. Yeah, I mean, it completely makes sense. But these would have all been, uh, I guess, uh, pre the the merger into uh, into the complete uh, Cadogan group, and these are all well. Yeah, the yeah. the complete merger. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is 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 uh, you know the uh, they bought Kamoi. They actually became majority owners of Kamoi in the late twenties, and <laughs> I believe it was the late twenties. I could be mistaken; it might have been a little later than that. But but they never executed the merger; they left Kamoi alone, and Kamoi continued to operate like it was a separate company. And so, you know, the the Blue Ravan line was actually introduced in 1938. Well, that's when it was first came out. So you had, I mean, it was probably, there were probably a few made in 1937 and then a few of them trickle out and you've got some made in 1938 and then all of a sudden 1939 comes and here's the war and Kamoi's factories along with, uh, with most other pipe factories in England were repurposed to the war effort and Kamoi, the Kamoi factory was, became in the business of making, uh, 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 making <clears throat> essentially dashboards for the for the mosquito bombs. Uh, wow. However, uh, something that a lot of people don't know is that Great Britain actually uh, declared pipes pipe manufacture as a as a critical war industry, but they restricted the number of factories that Kamoi could have, and you know they're making parts for mosquito bombers in most of the factories, and. Uh, and so, you know, here goes the war, essentially, through the, the mid-40s. And it took a long time for those factories to be tooled up, hiring people, getting people back, building the markets, getting those out. So, you know, essentially, you have a, you have a big hole in the Blue Band production from 1939 till you know, who knows? It could be 1949, 1948. And so most Bluer bands were actually were actually made in the '60s. Some were made in the '50s, and by you know 1975, uh, they'd stopped. I talked to the to the last president of Kamoi extensively when I was researching my book, and and that uh, in the early to mid '70s, he told me that they were lucky if they got two or three Bluer bands in a year. And wow. finally, that because the production was so low, they couldn't uh, they couldn't uh, keep up, so they just eliminated the line. And I found out, of course, by knowing Elliot, that you know, who was president of RTVA for a while and a pretty big wheel in the tobacco world, yeah, he was personally getting most of those pipes that were coming to this country. <laughs> I mean, he would order those things, and that's where they wound up. So you've got this very small production and this one guy in the middle of the country in Memphis, Tennessee, buying them up. And so when you become a collector like I am, it's pretty challenging trying to trying to get those pipes. And when the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but when the Blue Riband came out, it was the, it wasn't the, it wasn't the top, top of the line, but it was towards the top and then 
for a while it was the top of the line, and then they had the uh, specimens above it in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, it, but in terms of like actual, you know, brand management and manufacturing, it's slightly different than that. You know, you Kamoi had its specimen straight grains, yeah. uh, which yeah, which you just referred to, which you know have always been the most expensive. And so, because they were the most expensive, uh, they were they are referred to as the top of the line. But the specimen straight grain was actually never a a production uh, line. It was a happy accident that they charged for when it happened. <laughs> and so, you know, so really, you know, the Blue Riband was, for all practical purposes, the top of the line. When uh, when Kamoi introduced the pipeline, uh, it. You know, you had other Kamoi brands that, or other pipelines, uh, the Royal Kamoi being the one that, that is the most notable, that were the top of the line, right? But the Blue Band was such a hit. It was such a brilliant marketing ploy. And for those people who don't know it, the, the name of the pipeline is, was actually taken from the trophy that was given to the passenger liner that could make the fastest transatlantic crossing from Liverpool to New York. Huh, and w- without so, hitting an iceberg. Uh, without hitting an iceberg, exactly. And, uh, and in, so they took that idea, which was very prestigious and a really big deal. I mean, we're talking when these... When these passenger liners would, you know, steam across the the ocean, you know, when they broke a record, it was a big deal. It was making the front pages. And so by naming that pipeline, the Blue Riband, they really gave that line a, a an advantage in the marketplace that was really reinforced by something that were, people were really interested in, which was, you know, the advance of maritime technology. Neil, your your book is still available. It's uh, it's available on smokingpipes.com. As I checked right now, it's full of some beautiful photography. Uh, so check that out if you want to see Neil's pipes. Uh, I want to have you come back on next week. Can you do that? Oh, I'd love to. All right, good, because we're running way long, and I've still got, I think I've asked you now three questions out of about ten that I have written down. So we'll have Neil back on next week. And uh, check out his book. And uh, Neil, we'll talk to you again next week. All righty, Brian. Thanks a lot. We'll be back in just a minute. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 Collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic Cashmere, the sultry Licoricea, and the striking Archibaldino Red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. 
Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. This is Internet Radio. And welcome back to live here on Tuesday night. Uh, remember, Neil Rohn will be in two weeks. In two weeks. So, uh, not next week. All right. Uh, last week, uh, this past couple of days, we lost Jerry Lewis. Uh, Jerry Lewis was actually a customer that came into the Dunhill store when I worked at the at Dunhill on uh, in Beverly Hills and uh, met him twice. One time, I actually uh, he was having a problem with a humidor that he bought for his son-in-law, and I got to drive up to his house and put in a new humidifier. So. Uh, yeah, again, philanthropist, entertainer, just a just an all around great guy, and I thought, you know what, we'd go back and uh, 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 there was a picture of him floating around on the internet earlier today, and uh, it was him holding a, a silver spigot pipe with Dean Martin, so that makes him a pipe smoker in my book. And here is a song that he did. Oh boy, how how long back has it been? But uh, can't, it's got to be in the 1960s because this one's titled How Long Has This Been Going On? And uh, it's got that old uh, late 50s, early 60s crooner style. I could cry salty tears Where have I been? has been going on There were chills up my spine and some thrills I can't define Listen sweet I repeat How long has this been going That I could melt into heaven, I'm hurled. I know how Columbus felt finding another world. Kiss me once, then once more. What a dunce I was before What a break For heaven's sake How long has this been going on? I creep 
divine rendezvous Don't wake me if I'm asleep Let me dream that it's true Kiss me twice Then once more That makes thrice Let's make it four mm, What a break For heaven's sake How long has this been going on How long has this been Jerry Lewis, a uh, multi-talented, multi-faceted uh, human being, and uh, he will be missed. You've got some mail. In the mailbag, uh, going back to last week, the second conversation with David Field. Uh, Dino writes, uh, David Field in conversation, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Albert King, what's not to like? Great show. I missed the Facebook Live, evidently forever. And uh, thanks again for entertaining me, Fluffy. You're welcome, Fluffy Dino. Um, I will do the Facebook Live thing again. It'll be a couple of weeks because apparently that was uh, quite a big hit. Uh, Joe Lankford emailed me uh, and said, Hi, Brian, I saw your video on using a coffee grinder to cut up flake tobacco, so I got one from Amazon, and I have to say that is the best. Hope to see you in Vegas in a couple of months. You certainly will, Joe. Uh, Glad it worked out for you. And then uh, Steve Davenport wrote me, uh, apparently I'm one of the lucky folks that got to see the replay of your Facebook Live event before it vanished. And now an old coffee grinder that has been tucked away in a closet is going to be repurposed. Uh, He went on to say that a thought on fluffing tobacco in a coffee grinder, there's a fine line between fluffed and snuffed because... uh, uh, apparently he overshot the, uh, the 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 grinding with the with the tobacco and from his it's from his everything jar that was a bit on the dry side and uh, uh, it got uh, pretty pretty well ground up. I will say that uh, if you are using a coffee grinder, you have to make sure and just do half second pulses and then take a look. Half second pulse and take a look. If you're using it with a moist flake tobacco. Yeah, you're okay going a little bit longer, but you're right. You really don't want it to get too ground up because otherwise you'll be uh, sucking nasal snuff right up your uh, pipe. Um, And then finally, uh, Michael McNicator, hope I did that right, uh, wrote, uh, Brian, I love the podcast. If I'm not mistaken, during an episode last year when you were talking about your love of your love for Disney and your collection of Disney pipes, um, as a collector of the now defunct Disney World tobacconist pipes myself, could you confirm if the Cherrywood style Disney World pipes were manufactured by Rob Pipes? And he sent me some pictures of the two pipes that he's got, and one of them is a Cherrywood. Uh, the stamp says made in France, which is an indication, but no Rob insignia. I also own a Disney Briar pipe, but no artisan stamp there either. Keep up the great work, Mike from the St. Pete. Pipe Club, and I'm assuming that's uh, St. Pete, Florida. 
Um, Mike, yeah, you're uh, you're dead on the the only the only company that I know of in France ever making those uh, cherry wood pipes was the Rop Company. Uh, they may have at times used somebody else's factory in France to make them besides their own, but those are dead on 100% uh, Rop cherry woods. Is they're the only ones in France that were ever making them. Um, and please don't everybody go out on eBay or around the pipe shows and stuff and try to find all my uh, Disney World pipes because then I won't be able to get any new ones. Leave some for me, please. Anyway, uh, speaking of pipe shows, I'll see you all this weekend at the NASPC show in uh, Dublin, Ohio, just outside of Columbus. Come up, say hi, give me a big hug, whatever. I'll be there uh, Friday afternoon and then all day... uh, Friday afternoon and evening, and then all day Saturday. So I uh, hope to see a lot of you there. And rant time next. Cowboy. Cowboy. Remember back to high school or even grade school, the kids that, you know, would pick on you or would hate something that you liked just because they didn't understand it or, you know, whatever it was. If it was your style, your style of music and you liked it, well, they'd tell you it was bad just because they didn't like it. Well, this week and this past couple of days, I spent uh, spent Sunday morning going to a local Comic-Con. And yes, I was a uh, kind of a Comic-Con geek back in my teens and played Dungeons and & Dragons. And I went just because I had a free morning and walked around there for a couple hours. And I was looking at these people and I thought, you know what, well, you know, good for them. You know, good for them because they're they're getting out and the uh, you know and they and they have a passion for this, all dressed up in all different kinds of costumes, all different age ranges of people, some you know parents with their kids, uh, all kinds of uh, different assortments of folks. The only thing that I will say that was different from the times when I was going to these things was. Well, there were some ladies or young women there that were dressed up and could have been confused for a um, erotic dancer competition at some point. But I don't remember that many girls when I was in high school going to these things. And uh, I wish it was kind of that way back then. But um, anyway, uh, you know what? Good for them. They're out. They're they're doing their thing or uh, flying their freak flag, as you want to call it, you know, whatever it is. And the same thing happened yesterday with the eclipse. There were people that were getting all excited about it. And then I'd see somebody on Facebook going, eh, big deal. It's just a block of sun. I'm not going out and doing nothing for it. You know what? If somebody's looking forward to it and somebody's enjoying it, just because you don't enjoy it or you're not looking forward to it doesn't mean you have to talk them down or be down on them, you know? Let's just it's just like pipe smoking. If you love it and you enjoy it, smoke whatever you want, whenever you want, be who you are, be happy, be the leading expert on your own opinion, be a legend in your own mind, be whatever you want to be and just have a good time and enjoy those moments that you get to, you know, sit back and do that thing you like. All right, there you go. Um, hope Again, hope to see you all in Columbus. Uh, ratings and reviews on iTunes would be wonderful. Share the Pipes Magazine radio show with all your friends. 
if you've uh, just started uh, in college and uh, or you're going back to school, you know, try to form up a pipe club on your uh, college campus if you can still smoke on the campus. Anyway, uh, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to uh, Neil for uh, part one. And until next time. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Yes, I promise I will. Let me hear one more. Young lady. Lady! <laughs> okay. <laughs>